51, Psalm 51. We're going to begin this morning in a time of word, and then we'll have several opportunities to respond to the word of God through prayer, through worship, and then we'll close with a time of communion. So if you will turn with me to Psalm 51, and then once you find it, if you would do this, uh, if you are able, would you stand with me? We're going to read God's word together. Psalm 51. This is the word of the Lord. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. In burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray together, church. Father, we pray now that you would bless the preaching of your word. I pray that you would help me to preach by the power of your spirit that I would say that that which is helpful and accurate and faithful to your word, and that you, God, would take your living word and apply your truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ to our hearts. We ask it in the name of our great God and King, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said together, amen. Feel free to have a seat, folks. Well, because the younger children at a Catholic parochial school often... Well, they forgot their sins when they were entering the confessional. It was suggested by one of their teachers that the students, in preparation for going into confessional, that they jot down their sins that they wanted to confess. And so the next week, when one child came into the confessional, he was, he was heard unfolding his paper. The youngster then began, I lied to my parents. I disobeyed my mom. I fought with my brothers and... And then there was a long pause. Then a small, angry voice said, Hey, this isn't my list. (laughs) 
awkward. And so, friends, um, what do prayers of repentance, what do prayers of confession look like? Is it simply just sort of listing sins that we have committed, or is there more involved? We're going we're to find out this morning as we continue to look at different types of prayers in the scriptures. This morning, taking a look at David's prayer of confession found in Psalm 51. You likely are familiar with the background, so I'll be brief. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David, the king over Israel, commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant and then two times tries to cover up his sin before he eventually hatches and brings to completion a plot to have her husband murdered. So on the heels of that, we move to chapter 12. And in chapter 12, God sends the prophet by the name of Nathan to confront David with a touching story about a lamb. And the story touches David's heart. And he says, whoever, whoever committed that sin, that man must die. And then Nathan sort of points his bony finger at, at, at David and says, you are the man. And so David is struck with the weight of his sin. He admits, I have sinned against the Lord, to which the prophet Nathan then stunningly replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. And on the heels then of this event and this confession and this declaration from the prophet Nathan, we get this wonderful psalm of Confession, this prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. John MacArthur, pastor and author, says this about the psalm. He says it bears the mark of penetrative, pervasive, almost dehabilitating remorse over sin. We can feel that from the text. He writes, it, it, it reveals the essence of true confession. So we're going to take a look at this psalm together in four movements that roughly follows the flow of the text. First of all, I think we see four marks, four characteristics, if you will, of a prayer of confession and repentance from the lips and the heart of a genuine believer. Four marks. Number one, prayers of confession involve asking for forgiveness. Number two, prayers of confession, well, they confess sin. Number three, prayers of confession. We seek restoration of the broken relationship. And then number four, prayers of confession. Uh, there's an anticipation of a renewed service to others and a renewed worship of God. So let's walk through the text together and we'll interweave times of, uh, of, of prayer corporately and song. So let's begin. Number one, prayers of repentance involve and asking for forgiveness. We see that in verses 1 and 2, as well as in verses 9, 7 and 9. So let's take a look at the beginning, verse 1. David begins his prayer simply by crying out for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And so we see from the very uh, outset of this prayer that David calls upon the mercy of God what is mercy? What is David asking for? He's essentially asking that he not get what he actually deserves. And so he cries out, God, have mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. And why does he begin with this? Well, at least a couple reasons. Because under God's old covenant law with Israel, there was no sacrifice, animal sacrifice, that could be made for intentional, premeditated sin. So David 
had no option for doing that. In addition to that, the sin of adultery and murder, according to Leviticus 20 and Leviticus 29, were both punishable by death. And so David, he has no legs to stand on. He cries out for mercy because that's the only thing he had to do. That's all he could do. So God, have have mercy on me. But notice the nature of God that is highlighted here. He not only cries out for God's mercy, but notice... Have mercy, O God, according to your what? According to your unfailing love. This is God's loyal love. It is his covenant-keeping, promise-keeping kindness. He says, God, I know this is in your nature. You you keep your promises. Your your love to me is, is faithful, so have mercy on me. Not only that, but he says, God, according to your compassion... He says, God, I know that you are a compassionate God. It refers to a feeling of love and or pity that one has for another in a time of need. So he says, God, I'm calling upon your character and I'm asking for mercy that you not give me what I deserve. What follows then in the rest of the prayer is that David uses three different images to speak of God's forgiveness of his sin. Notice the first. It's that of wiping sin away. He says, according to your great compassion, image number one, blot out my transgressions. It's the image of wiping sins away. Literally, the word in Hebrew uh, refers to scraping off or to erasing or to removing that which has been written down. So just think of a, of a pencil eraser, right? There are words that are written, and you take an eraser and you 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 wipe it off, or, or a chalkboard, right? You you wipe off that which has been written down. The idea here is that David recognizes that his sins were on record; they were they were on his record before a holy God, and he's asking God to erase that record. And so there's the image of wiping. Secondly, in verse two, there's the image of washing. Notice what he says. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, in in verse 1, David is concerned about his his legal standing before a holy God. He's concerned about the record, if you will. But in verse 2, his concern sort of looks inward towards his own feelings of guilt, towards his own dirtiness due to sin. This, this, this word, wash away my iniquities, was, was often used literally of just washing dirty clothes. Moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? Dirt, clothes that are filthy, clothes that are dirty, clothes that are stained, you, you, you wash them, right? That's, that's the image here. He says, God, my sin has made me dirty before you. So Christian, I want to ask you, have you ever been in a place where you've sinned against God, you've sinned against someone else, and you just feel dirty because of it. I know I have. That's how Christians feel. Um, that's what sin does. It makes us dirty. I want you to think about the, the most dirty physically that you've ever felt before in your life. So just ponder that. I uh, have one image that comes to mind immediately. So um, in my youth group at the church that I grew up in, uh, we often did all sorts of wacky and, and silly and dirty things. And so one of the things that I remember is my youth pastor somehow convinced uh, the senior pastor to allow him to bring some fire trucks onto the church property. And what he did is we had uh, lots of acres behind the church, and he basically said, make a mud pit for me. And so 
uh, you know, hundreds of gallons of water were sprayed on this, this yard, creating essentially a, a huge mud pit to play in. And we had a wonderful time getting dirty from head to toe. I mean, they, I had, I had dirt in places in my body that I didn't know even existed, right? Man, I felt dirty. Um, that's the image here that, that sin in the life of the Christian, when we sin against God, that, that that's how sin makes us feel. And, and David says, God, not only wipe away my sin, but wash, wash me clean. Notice, he reiterates the image in verse 7. He says, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Or wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. This image of, of cleansing him with hyssop refers back to the Old Testament law. See, in Israel, when a person was considered, for a whole host of reasons, ceremonially defiled, that is, they weren't able to enter into the worship of God with the people of God at the temple of God. They were, they were considered defiled for a time period, and a priest would, would dip a, a hyssop branch into the blood of an animal that had been sacrificed, and then he would, he would sprinkle that blood over the person to, to ceremonially cleanse them so that they could rejoin the people of God and, and worship again. And, and the priest would essentially say, after the ceremony, you are now clean. And David uses this image. He says, God, do that for me in my sin. Wipe it away. Wash it away. And then notice verse 9. It's the image of withholding. Withholding. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out, there's the word back from verse 1, and blot out all my iniquity. Blot out all my iniquity. Here David is asking God, God, hide your face. Don't look at my sins. Withhold your gaze. Don't take note of it. And all of these images David is using as he prays to the Lord, saying, God, forgive my sins. Look look away. Wipe them away. Wash me clean. Withhold your judgment from me. So we're going to respond to this section of the Word of God. I've asked Dan, one of our elders, to come. And first, he's going to lead us in a responsive reading of this particular section. And so he'll lead you. You'll say, uh, he'll say the first line, and you'll respond with the second. And then he's going to lead you in a, in a brief time of prayer. And then he'll close, and we'll jump back into the text. And so, Dan, there you are. Why don't you grab the mic and lead us. Okay, church, let's uh, read responsively. I'll begin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out all my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquity. Let's take a few moments asking God to forgive us of any known sins from this week as well as any unknown. Jesus has taught us to do this in Matthew 6.12 where he says in his great prayer, and forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's also rejoicing knowing that when we ask as believers in Christ, our sins are forgiven as John shows us in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And will forgive our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. Let's take a moment to recall some of our sins, both known and unknown this week.
Heavenly Father, we come to you confessing our sins, knowing that we fall short often and and don't measure up to what uh, we know we are capable of doing, Lord. We thank you that you forgive us, and not only forgive us, but you wash away and you make us whiter than snow. So, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you and know that as we can confess our sins, that you forgive us and we have a clean slate to start over again. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. So as we move into the second segment of this prayer of confession, we see that David not only asks God to forgive his sins, but he he confesses his sin to the Lord. He agrees with the Lord that what he has done is sinful. So take a look at verse 3. We see the confession of sin there. For I know, David says, my transgressions. He doesn't offer excuses. He doesn't blame others. He owns it. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This image of of recognizing and agreeing with God over his sin. He says, it's like my sin. It's always before my eyes. I recall uh, at some point I was watching a, a football game, I believe it was, with uh, my son, my oldest son, and uh, there was a big play that happened, and uh, if you've ever watched football on TV, you know that after a big play, what do they show on TV? The what? The replay, right? They show the replay, and so they show the replay from this angle, and then what do they do? They show the replay from that angle, and then what do they do? They show the replay from the vantage point of the referee, right? And over and over, and he said something to me like, Dad, We've already seen it. Why do they just keep playing it over and over again? You know, I'm like, well, we want to see what happened, right? Um, that's kind of what David is saying. He's saying that his sin, it was, it was replaying as a loop over his mind. It's, it's always before him. He recognized it and agreed with God that it was such. He, he owns up to his sin. And friends, that's what we do when we as Christians confess. We say, God, I know my transgression. It is a transgression, and it's, it's always before me. But David doesn't stop there. Sins, uh, uh, prayers of confession not, don't, don't just contain confession. Because notice what he does in verse 4. He moves from confessing his sin to speaking about the very essence of his sin. Verse 4. These are remarkable words. He says to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now just ponder what David had done. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, He had murdered her husband and he had covered it up. Now would you say that his sin was against God and against God alone? Well, yes and no. David here recognizes that the heinousness of sin is not primarily how it hurts us or how it hurts others, but that sin primarily, essentially, is an offense to a holy God. He says, against you, against you, and you alone have I sinned. And then he adds, God, I deserve judgment. Did you notice that? You are right in your verdict. You're justified when you judge God. God, if you were to, to, to not have mercy on me, it would be rightly deserved. And so he, he confesses his sin. He points out the essence of sin. But then he even goes further than that. Notice in verses 5 and 6, he actually gets down to the source of his sin. Notice what he says about himself in verse 5. He says, surely I was, what's the word, church? 
I can't hear you. Surely it was, I was sinful at birth. Just ponder that. David is making a statement about humanity's nature. He says, surely, God, that my nature was corrupt. I was sinful at birth. But he doesn't stop there. What does he say? Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother, what? What's the word? Conceived me. He doesn't stop at the moment of birth. He says, from the moment of conception, my nature was bent and twisted out of, out, of, out of shape from sin. He says, yet, verse 6, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. See, David knew um, that what he did was not just sin, but that he knew the source, that he himself was a sinner. He, he says that he's internally corrupt, that his, his lusting and his adultery and his murder were merely symptomatic of a deeper disease. He gets to the the core of the issue. When our kids, when our children get sick, maybe they have a virus or a cold or something, my wife can attest, and and they have a fever, right? The fever's going up. The first thing I want to do is is what? I want to give them Tylenol. I want to give them a fever suppressant. It's that compassionate nature. Oh, I don't want them to to feel bad. I don't want them to suffer. And Shelly continually, rightly reminds me, the fever is not the issue, right? And of course, it can be an issue if it gets too high. But that's not essentially... The issue, right? It's the illness. The, like the fever is not the illness itself, but it's, it's the symptom of it. When we sin, even as Christians in, in our flesh, when we sin, it's symptomatic. There's a deeper illness. There's a deeper, deeper brokenness in us that the gospel begins to transform when we trust in Jesus. But Paul even says, when he sins in Romans chapter 7, it's not me that sins, it's the sin living in me. It's my flesh. And there will be a day in glory when we have a glorified body, when God completely saves us, and we, we won't have to deal with that. But until then, we see that, that in sins and uh, prayers of, of repentance, we, we confess our sin, but we don't, we don't stop there. We recognize, God, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against you alone, and that, man, I am broken here. And we're going to see here momentarily that David is going to ask God to restore him, to, to restore him from the inside out. But before we do, we're going to spend some time not only asking God to forgive us, but, but confessing our sin. And so, Dan, would you come and lead us through this time, please? Okay, we'll do another uh, responsive here. There we go. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Faithfulness, even in the womb. He taught me wisdom in that secret place. So let's take a few moments confessing some specific sins to God. Let's focus on some of our habitual sin struggles, those sins that seem to occur over and over and over. Let's focus on those in any any other sins that we do over and over that we don't see. So let's ask God that uh, he would show us our sin.
Heavenly Father, help us to recognize that our sin is against you, that we have fallen short of the plan that you have for us. Lord, you give us the strength, you give us your spirit to uh, to move through these things, and we still go back to our habitual sins, Lord. We go back to those things that we struggle with over and over. Father, we would pray that you would release us from the grip that those habits have on us, that we would be free from that, that we would be able to move forward, Lord. And we thank you for your forgiveness. Amen. So as we move to the third major section in this prayer, we see David not only asking for forgiveness, we see him not only confessing his sin, but in verse 8, as well in verses 10 and 11 and 12, we see that David, um, he wants restoration. He's seeking restoration. And I see him seeking restoration in, in, in at least two different areas. Number one, in two different places, he said, God, restore my joy. Restore the joy that I have in following you faithfully. And then number two, um, he said, God, restore my heart. Restore me on the inside. So take a look at verse 8 as he prays. God, restore my joy. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. This verse is a request for God's renewed, uh, for David's renewed joy in God. His fractured relationship with God pains him. He, he likens it to a, uh, to a broken bone, to, to bones, God, that you have, you've crushed. Interestingly, David in Psalm 32, another psalm of confession, he describes a time when he lived as a believer in unconfessed, rebellious sin. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, when I kept silent, that is before I, 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 I confessed my sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So David describes what it's like for the believer to live in rebellious sin, for us to, to know we've sinned and to keep sinning and to rebel against God. He, he likens his lack of spiritual vitality and joy to a physical strength that's sapped away by the scorching summer sun. I'm sure you've experienced that before, maybe working outside in the garden all day long, or if you labor outside, you've, you've labored under, under the heat of the day. And we all know that the sun tends to do that. It, it sucks our strength away. I recall when I was in high school, for two summers, I uh, took tennis lessons. Yes, tennis is a sport. It's a real sport, for those of you who are wondering. Not that I'm defensive about it or anything. Uh, and, and, I, and I played in a league in Corpus Christi. Uh, down in Corpus Christi in the southern part of Texas during the summer, uh, you can only imagine the heat. Uh, there's not only temperatures that were normally over 100 degrees during the middle of the day, but you had humidity that was upwards of 70-80% all the time. And we were playing on asphalt courts, and as you know, asphalt sort of, it sort of uh, emanates, it, it soaks in the sun, and then it just sort of it shoots it out. And so, man, I, I remember at the end of those days when I drove home, my strength was gone and I was soaking wet. And that's sort of what unrepentant sin does in the life of the Christian. It saps away our joy. It saps away our spiritual vitality. And so David says, God, I, I want to hear joy again. I want to have gladness again. Notice verse 12, a similar request. It's natural then that David would ask God to restore his joy. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit 
to sustain me. See, David hadn't lost his salvation due to sin, but he had lost the joy of his salvation due to his unrepentant sin. So he says, God, I I want to be restored. I want to have joy in you again. But not only that, in verses 10 and 11, he says, restore my heart. Notice this wonderful uh, portion in verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. See, for David, simply asking for pardon wasn't enough. He wanted to have the power and the desire to not sin against God anymore. This word heart, he says, create in me a pure heart. In the Bible, our heart refers to our will, our our decision-making capabilities, as well as our emotions. And, And then notice the language. He says, take that heart, make it pure instead of dirty. And he says, renew this steadfast spirit within me, this idea of renewal, it's the idea of, reno- it's the idea of renovating something, of reforming something. And so he's, he's saying, God, change who I am. Change me from the inside out. And then he prays this prayer in verse 11. He says, God, don't, don't remove your spirit, your Holy Spirit from me. I think this is David asking, God, don't remove me from kingship in Israel. See, often in the Old Testament, God's Spirit would come upon people when they were anointed for a specific task. In particular, we see this with the kings of Israel. You may recall his predecessor, Saul, that after God had rejected him, that he removed the Holy Spirit from him. And so David's saying, don't do that with me. I I still want to be king. Please don't do that. He wanted his heart, his insides, to be restored. So he says, God, I've sinned against you. I'm lacking joy, but I want to have that joy again. I want to have that sweet fellowship with you. God, I want, to, I want to follow you. Please restore me from the inside out. So Dan is going to come and lead us in a reading. Verse 8 of Psalm 51. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now let's take a few moments to ask God to give us the joy again that follows. The joy again in following him. Ask him to renew our spirits and our hearts. And give us a willing spirit to obey him in our sin struggles. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to this earth to die in our place, to die so that we can be free from our sin. Father, we pray today that you would help us to cut the bonds of the chains that weigh us down, that are anchors to our joy. Father, release us from the guilt that we feel for our sin. You have forgiven us. You have washed us white as snow. So Lord, we pray that you would send your Spirit to free us from that guilt 
and from those struggles and to see the joy that we can have in knowing that we're forgiven by you, Lord. Amen. Finally, as the prayer closes towards uh, 13 on, we see that David finally, he asked God uh, that he would renew his service to other people and that he would restore his, his praise of God. So notice in verse 13, God says, uh, David says, I, I, I'm asking you, God, that you would help me to be renewed in my service of others. Verse 13. He says, then, in other words, these are things that would happen, God, if you forgive my sins, if you restore your joy to me. Then, then, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. He says, God, if you forgive me, if you forgive me, then, then I'll show others how, what kind of God you are. I'll, I'll show others how you deal with repentant sinners. I'll show them your, your chesed love, your loving kindness, that you're a compassionate God. I'll, I'll engage others who are, well, on the path that I was on, and I'll teach them your ways. I'll, I'll show them and turn them back to you. He wanted his broken life to be a source of healing for others. Here I think we see that forgiven sinners make the best evangelists. As one commentator by the name of uh, Henry says, he says, penitents should be preachers. And I don't think he's referring to what I'm doing now, right? All of us, those of us who are in Christ, who experience God's grace, that we then have this wonderful opportunity to teach that to other people and to show them God's kindness and his compassion. Well, in verses 14 through 17, and in verses 18 through 19, David not only anticipated that his service of others would be renewed, but he anticipates a renewed worship of God, both personally, in verses 14 through 17, personally, he would praise the Lord again, and then corporately, verses 18 and 19. Notice, starting in verse 14, David's personal praise. He says, deliver me, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior. And then what's going to happen? In my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And so David says, God, if you, if you forgive me, if you restore me, then I'm, I'm going to sing. I'm going to respond in praise. I'm going to praise your righteousness. I'm going to declare your praise to others. Pastor and author, Sam Storms sort of puts words in David's mouth here, and he says this. He says, it is as, it, it is as if David says, my conscience has shamed me into silence. Right now, my lips are sealed because of my sin. Forgive me, O God, and, and, and open my mouth, and I will surrender my voice to you. And then he adds this really helpful insight. He says, often, guilt... Acts like glue. Guilt in the life of the Christian. He says, it's like glue. It seals shut the mouth of praise. And so David says, um, take the glue off my lips. I I want to praise you again. Notice in verses 16 and 17, he affirms that that the worship that the Lord really wants, that's pleasing to God, is not just external. It's not just the praise of his lips, although it involves that, but it's internal and external. Verse 16, he says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, and I think David means in that alone, in mere external uh, ritual. Verse 17, 
My sacrifice, remember, there was no sacrifice that he could make. My sacrifice, O God, is what? What is it that God, that David is going to offer to God? He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, you will not despise. These, this word for broken, it's, it's literally the image of something being smashed, something being crushed to bits. And David says, God, what you really want from me over my sin is not just sort of external ritual, but you want my heart. You want my heart to be broken over my sin like it breaks your heart. And so he says, God, if, if you forgive me, my lips are going to be unglued. It's going to pour forth your praise. And then finally, there's a corporate element here in verses 18 and 19. David says, May it please you to prosper Zion, a reference to the city of Jerusalem, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. See, David recognized that because he was the king over Israel, he was God's anointed king, that his personal sins could actually have a a corporate consequences on the nation as a whole. We've seen that before in the life of David. And so he recognizes that his sin is against God and against God alone, and that he sinned against Bathsheba and he sinned against Uriah. But he says there, there's, there could be corporate consequences here. All sin affects not only us, but it affects others. It, it affects those that we're in relationship with. And so God, uh, David, prays here for, for the nation as a whole. He says, God, prosper the nation, verse, uh, verse 18, so that we can continue to worship as you demand and as you delight, in verse 19. So we're going to close this way. Dan's going to lead us in one further reading in a, a short time of prayer. And our worship team will come and we're going to respond to this wonderful prayer of repentance and confession with two songs that will match the theme. And then we'll close by sharing the elements together as we remember uh, the sacrifice. Okay, would you join me for our final reading? Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Let's spend a few moments asking God if there are people with whom we can share our story of God's forgiveness or who, how we can be used by God to turn back to him. Let's also ask God to give us a heart of praise for him in light of our forgiveness in Christ that we would always have a broken and contrite heart before him. Heavenly Father, we are sinful from birth. Lord, we we are sinful from even the time that we were conceived. Lord, you've made this clear to us, and we know it, but we just don't always see it or acknowledge it, Lord. So we ask you to show us our sin, that we can confess our sin, and receive that wonderful forgiveness that you have promised us, Lord. So, Father, we pray that we would be joyful 
in knowing that we're forgiven, that our chains are broken, that we are set free from the bondage of sin. So Lord, help us to be joyful in our walk, that we would share our joy with others, that others can know that the forgiveness that you have and the joy and light that you bring to our lives. We thank you for all these things, Lord. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us, church?